let me introduce myself. Um, I've uh, I've been in practice since the 1900s, so um, I'm a bachelor. Okay. I'm a bachelor trained PT, and I've been in practice since '77. Um, and um, right now, I'm working in a clinic that uh, works in a uh, it's, an, it's a standing clinic with a manufacturing company um, in Wisconsin. I had my own private practice for 25 years, sold that about 10 years ago. And that's about when I got started in missions. Uh, I wanted to take my daughter and daughter-in-law on a missions trip and happened to know a doctor who was taking his daughter. So we went together, and it was a global health outreach trip, which is a division of the Christian Medical Dental Association. That was my first experience. And uh, ever since then, we've been going uh, every July to the Dominican Republic and working in a clinic with GHO. Um, the model is uh, that we take a variety of medical professionals and set up a clinic, mostly in, usually in a school. We've had experience lately to also work with the military the last couple of years, which has been a great evangelistic opportunity to break into uh, the military, and there's been some people praying on that for quite a while. So I have experience, but I'm not an authority, um, certainly. I'm an American-trained therapist who's gone on a few trips, and um, I do serve as the advisory council, on the advisory council for GHO and as the PT specialty coordinator. So if you sign up for a GHO trip, you'll probably get a call from me, and I'll talk to you a little bit about how to go through the preparation for that. So... Um, Today I would like just to have a very uh, casual, open discussion. I'm going to just share some things that I've learned along the way a little bit uh, to help you maybe prepare and, and understand a little bit of what you might expect if, you've, uh, if you plan on going on a short-term trip. So the trips I've been on are, are nine-day trips, and uh, we spend five days in the clinic, basically. So the weekend is travel, and then there's a little R&R on the second Saturday and a travel home on on Sunday. So, have have any of you uh, been on a missions trip as a PT and served that way? Okay, great. Okay, so some of this might be, you know, old information, but uh, feel free. We'll have some time at the end to do a little uh, question and answer time. So, all right. So they wanted me to establish a problem, and that's one of the things that we'll work off of, and. The problem is, is that there's a need for PTs on missions trips, and there are many areas that are served that need a physical therapist or an occupational therapist to serve, and we basically don't have enough that are going on these trips. So if we want to establish a problem, that's kind of where we're at at this point. Um, so recruitment, encouragement, uh, facilitation of actually getting therapists to sign up. Back in 2004 when I started working with GHO, they're really, they weren't even advertising therapists on their trips uh, as one of the medical professionals. So I've worked with them to try to, try to encourage that a little bit and then to try to network. I've been to a couple state conferences, a couple of McKenzie conferences where I actually had a booth and, and uh, tried to recruit PTs. Uh, I'm not sure that that is profitable. I think that what I find most of the time is that the Lord just brings uh, somebody's heart along to say, I think I want to do this, and then uh, they sign up. Um, and then many of those are repeaters, actually. We have uh, many therapists who seem to like a certain time of the year. They're in a part of their career where they can afford to go or they can raise the funds for it. 
and they uh, then seem to go with the same team, and oftentimes it's two therapists who work together even though they don't, didn't even know each other until the first trip that they went on. So it's kind of, that's kind of common. It's, uh, it's beneficial definitely to have more than one therapist on most of the trips. Um, the objectives here are that we uh, will understand the role of PT or OT in medical relief, um, comprehend the appropriate use of therapists, and we'll talk about how therapists fit into the clinic, understand the process of preparation, and then understand the dynamics of working with other medical professionals on the short-term trip. So if you have questions along the way, we will have time at the end, but if something comes up, please feel free to raise your hand. And this uh, PowerPoint is, will, is on the website already for medical missions, so you can pick that up later if you need to. So these are the objectives that we hope to accomplish, uh, that you'll get ideas of securing and transporting uh, therapy supplies and equipment, that uh, you'll know what the expectations are, uh, working in a multidisciplinary cl disciplinary clinic in short term, what the conditions might be that you're going to work in, and ident identifying different types of trips and specific needs for each trip. So uh, one of the first things that I think is really important for you to do is, is to figure out how you are going to choose an organization. Obviously, certain organizations uh, lend more toward allowing therapists to do uh, what they do. And I've had quite a few therapists who I've talked to even after they've graduated from school. And they've been on missions trips, but they haven't been able to do PT. So they go along as someone part of the clinic. They might help build or they might help do something. And to me, that seems like a terrible waste because I think there's so much that PTs have to offer. Um, and it's a matter of just really kind of educating the people you're going with so they have kind of an understanding of what we do have to offer. And when I say PT, I also mean OT. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, so the three things I would look at when you're choosing an organization, first of all, uh, their doctrinal statement, do you, do you agree with what they stand for? Most of the organizations represented here, if you're a believer, will not, you won't have an issue with that. But, you know, there's lots of other organizations that are secular or uh, that you may want to join too and, and, and go with. So, you know, is there, is there an opportunity there then for you to agree with their mission statement, let's say that, or their vision? Evangelistic approach, one of the strong components of the trip, I think, should be sharing the gospel. We do that in our PT clinic, but the, the way the GHO clinics are set up is that there's a counseling time, and every patient has to go through that counseling. The ch local church we work with in Santo Domingo um, actually provides a room of people that just one-on-one -on -one share the gospel, and they have to go through that before they can go to pharmacy and get their medicine. So... It's kind of a trap in a sense, but they have to, they have to sit and hear the gospel. And uh, oftentimes we have a pretty high level of people who have made decisions for Christ, oftentimes 20 to 25% of the people coming through the clinic. So um, that, that I think is really important. The other thing is the clinic model. How is the therapist going to be used? And sometimes you'll know this ahead of time. If you're going on a trip where the team leader has never had a physical or occupational therapist, um, they may not have any clue on how they're going to use you. And so understanding what you can do ahead of time and talking that through with your team leader is really important. So you, not only do you go with an understanding of what you're going to do, 
but also they have an availability to know um, what they can, how they can use your skills. So the components to consider would be, uh, will this clinic model allow me to practice my specialty to benefit as many patients as possible? If you're going to build, again, you do what the Lord calls you to do, but if you're going to build something or dig a ditch or whatever it might be, uh, you know, you have skills that can benefit many, many people when you're there. And so to go uh, like that, um, I think, is probably not as good a time spent as if you actually can see patients. Um, so then, is there a plan? Not only is it an evangelical trip, but is there an actual plan of sharing the gospel? Because through translation, sometimes we get bogged down in the clinic. You're trying to convey information about what you're treating them for, and you, you're rushed because sometimes there's people waiting. All the time there's people waiting, and so you, you don't feel like you have 15 minutes to sit down and share the gospel through a translator. So if you have that opportunity, that's really good. And then is there a, a, a strong partnership with a local church or ministry in the area that can do follow-up, not only for the spiritual follow-up, but also for PT follow-up? And we'll talk a little bit about managing PT equipment, PTOT equipment um, along the way as well. So the role of the therapist, and uh, about a year ago I wrote a handbook for GHO, uh, which is available too. You'll get my email at the end of this, and you can feel free to email me for uh, the handbook for a therapist going on a trip. And a lot of the information out of this talk is from that, and there's some other information too. It's a very specific handbook for GHO as far as the model goes, um, so uh, it can be used uh, certainly uh, for other trips as well in other organizations. So. Uh, is the therapist going to be uh, a team leader as, and be responsible for the musculoskeletal and neurological disorders? If you're a therapist on the trip, you're probably the best person to treat those people. The general practitioners, even the specialized surgeons, are, are, do not really understand musculoskeletal medicine very well. And so in your practices, I'm sure you've run across that, that the family practice and primary care doctors really don't know what to do with back and neck pain and you know, they're trained in a certain way. So um, I would say that uh, you want to know ahead of time a little bit what your role is going to be regarding that. Um, as a therapist, you can take the lead on the team and you can organize the team. Sometimes we'll have 50 people on a team, and we'll talk about how we get a lot of our PT supplies and equipment on that team, but somebody has to take charge of that and somebody has to do it. And the medical director and the team leaders are too busy doing the other things that need to put a team together. So it's, it's important for the therapist or therapists to take that on. Um, therapy equipment includes a lot of the things that we're going to talk about, we, how to get wheelchairs and crutches, walkers, canes, supplies, and that kind of thing along the way. And then um, sometimes if you have more than one therapist, you kind of need, need to have a contact therapist, a, a person who's the lead who can uh, talk to the local people about managing equipment and stuff. You can do it as a team as well. So depends on your experience, your comfort level, you know, how many times you've been on a trip, how comfortable do you feel. If you're a first-timer, per, first you may feel that somebody else could, could take those responsibilities. And then it's important up front to talk to the team leader about uh, the way the therapist will be utilized on the, on the trip. 
And again, if they don't really understand who you are and what you can do, you know, the education ahead of time is really important and say, you know, anybody that uh, comes in with back, neck pain, whatever, you know, please send them my way type of thing. And it really lightens a load for the medical people too because, you know, they're, they're bogged down with musculoskeletal stuff when they can be seeing some of the other infectious medicine or whatever it might be. So the way we do it is they, they the, the patients come in and they go into triage. The nurses do their vitals and their history, and then they start to realize, okay, what are they here for really and what, what's the purpose? And if they're here for a problem with um, a musculoskeletal problem, they'll send them right to PT without going through the medical people first. And that just makes it much more efficient. There's also, um, they give us some medicines, uh, anti-inflammatories and pain medicines that we can distribute to those patients then also, um, which is helpful. Um, sometimes then they don't have to go through the pharmacy, or sometimes you, you uh, can just help them along for a short term. Medicine only lasts until it's gone, obviously, and um, so really I find that uh, therapy is really one of the lasting things that people are really going to be able to benefit from over a, a lifelong time. So and we'll talk a little bit about my prejudice on that. Uh, we'll de also determine with the team leader and medical director how the therapist will function with or without referral. That's kind of what we're talking about. We want to make it as efficient as we can. You know, when you have... Uh, hundreds of people waiting at the outside of the gate every time, you know, you show up on the morning. Uh, you know, you want to see as many as you can in a, an efficient way and make sure that you're treating them properly, but you also want to, um, you don't want things to get bogged down in the clinic, even though they will, um, just because of the way things go sometimes. Okay, so now we're in the pre-trip. You've decided to go on a trip, and uh, you want to take some responsibility as the lead therapist or as the only therapist on the trip. And so what I counsel therapists to do is uh, to start working with the team members. This might, in the bottom, it says three to four months ahead of the trip. If you're that organized, you've decided, okay, I'm going next July, and you talk to the team leader, and he says, yeah, go for it. Um, then you might just start as the team list starts to build and more people sign up. You might talk to them about uh, taking things on the trip. So um, obviously there's other things besides therapy equipment to take on a trip. So you have dental equipment, you have medicines that need to go, and other things that will be you'll work with in the, in the clinic. So those who don't have a second bag assigned to them, so they're not taking dental and medical uh, medicines, that kind of thing, then I usually try to talk them into trying to secure some sort of physical therapy, occupational therapy equipment to take with them. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go. So we counsel them on how to secure the equipment locally, and then we also talk on how to prepare the item for travel. We'll go through that and discuss the way to approach uh, local airline rep reps because we're finding that many times we can get some of these items on for no extra charge for a second bag, and so that works out really well. It depends on the mood of the airline agent when you walk up to the or if you prepare a little bit ahead of time. Any questions so far? Okay, so again, working with a team leader, um, what happens also when you get on the ground and who can help you with the thing? So if you're, like we did last year, we brought 21 wheelchairs and uh, probably two dozen walkers and several dozen crutches. But if you have nobody to transport that when you get there, it, you, it's just going to sit in the airport. So working ahead of time, understanding who is the host group, 
what are they going to do to help you get this stuff transported when you get there? And then um, also the logistics of transporting those items in the country. If your clinic is, if you're going to work in a clinic where you're moving from clinic every several days, let's say, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to move wheelchairs and walkers and crutches. It's not going to be nearly as pra practical as if you have somebody to load a truck when you get to the airport, take it to the clinic, and you're sitting there all day with the stuff, uh, that's going to be much more practical. So that's what you need to know ahead of time. You can get really excited about gathering supplies and equipment, but then if it isn't practical when you get to the country, that becomes difficult. The other thing is we don't send we, – we have a policy of not sending anything ahead of time. Uh, we've done that in the past, and what happens is – a lot of things will get ransomed or stored. And there was one therapist who had like a dozen wheelchairs sent ahead of time and then had to go around to the team to raise funds to get those out of storage because they wouldn't allow them. They were paying, I don't know, $100 or $50 per wheelchair to get them out so they could use them. So we just take them. They're part of our, you know, check, check bags, and uh, everybody owns it. And then the people who've raised those who are not medical, they may be logistics or nursing or somebody who's going on the trip, they don't have a second bag to take. So they found a wheelchair in a nursing home locally. They brought it along, or maybe it was grandma's or aunt whoever's, and they have a story to tell when that wheelchair is let out, and they know what family they're blessing with that. So, And then also the target group. Obviously, if you're going to a pediatric hospital, you're not going to bring a bunch of uh, tall adult crutches or whatever. So you look for pediatric wheelchairs, pediatric walkers, and that kind of thing. It just depends. If you're going on an ortho trip, that's going to change what you bring compared to if you're, you know, working in a general clinic type of thing. So this is all beforehand planning. You know, you're thinking about this a couple months ahead of time, and you're getting a list going, and you're working with a team leader and saying, okay, I've got, uh, I've got, you know, 15 or so logistics students that are coming. They don't have anything else to bring. And it seems, uh, seems like a waste to me that they would bring their own carry-on and their own suitcase and then not have a second bag to be able to check because most of the time you get that on internationally for no cost or for very low cost. We fly American Airlines. They tend to be very good about checking wheelchairs and extra bags on that, uh, for extra stuff. Uh, again, it depends on the gate agent and how they've gotten out of bed that morning, but uh, usually it's pretty good. So wheelchairs, um, my experience, I'll just go through this for your future reference, but um, Usually they can be found locally. Um, for a while we had a contract with Johnny and Friends, and they would give us up to 200 wheelchairs a year, but then you have to get them, you have to store them, and then you have to ship them off to the people going on your trip. So um, that becomes costly, and in reality uh, we <laughs> seldomly have uh, trouble raising these uh, pieces of equipment locally. Uh, we found one doctor went into his nursing home where he sees patients and with one statement, got eight wheelchairs, you know. So it's kind of, I think you'll find that that's fairly easy to do, not all the time, but some, most of the time. Uh, we do. I do have a way I suggest uh, to wrap for a shipping, which I will uh, just briefly go over. And then it's usually as a check, checked as a second bag, and it should be in good working order. There's a, sometimes we, I forget to kind of do that, and people get down there and they're missing an arm, arm rest or a leg rest, and, you know, when you get into a developing country, it's really difficult to find parts 
So everything should be working well and um, should be functional, at least when you leave. And then look for a variety of sizes of wheelchairs. We usually try to take a few pediatric ones if we can get them, and uh, then also um, up to the full adult size. So I don't know if you can see this or not. There's, uh, you might be able to pick it up better if you get it later. So what I do is I just take a wheelchair. I take the, the leg rests off and wrap them up and put them in the inside of the chair and collapse the chair. And I use this uh, packaging tape, a clear packaging tape. And then uh, I buy my roll of bubble wrap at Walmart. And uh, basically that's all you need, that and packaging tape. And you just kind of gradually wrap all the soft parts of it. And the end product is basically everything's wrapped up except the wheels. And, of course, you know, this isn't the magic way. This is just one way one therapist does this, but they tend to make it pretty well. We very seldomly have any damage in shipping, and so it really works out pretty well. Later you'll see a list of things that I have for you to take, and one of those are razor blade knives. So somebody's got to get the, get the tape and the uh, bubble wrap off the wheelchair, and that's what the logistics people are for. That helps at the end. But then we take some of the bubble wrap, we put them in pillowcases, and we have pillows for the clinic. So this, again, is a long list of kind of the step-by-step process, which you'll have if you want to look at it later. So walkers, uh, again, same places. You can usually pick them up. I've gotten to a point in my church um, where people just know that I need stuff, and so I look in a corner of the church, and, you know, crutches will show up, walkers will show up, a wheelchair once in a while. So people just kind of know it, and they just leave it there. And so you can do that through emailing you know, where you work, uh, through your church, your friends, social media, whatever. Um, the wheelchairs, or the walkers, we'd like to have primarily the, um, the folding ones, although we've taken some of the older ones that don't fold. It's a little harder to get there. Um, you can actually get five uh, uh, walkers wrapped together um, uh, as a second check bag. So I'll show you how that, how that goes. Other types of walkers, you know, a lot of the a lot of patients have these that they push around, it breaks on, they can sit on them, that kind of thing. You can certainly take those, and I think they're valuable, but they're hard, it's harder to get more of those on the trip. If you might get two of those together for one checked uh, bag. So again, I don't know if you can see this, but uh, I start out just with five walkers. And then I kind of fold them all together and put all the on the base down. Again, this is all in the write-up, too. And then I take the, top, the four corner wheels and bring those up, and everything else goes down. In the meantime, I'm taping them together to hold them together. I put a rope on the top, and then at the end, you've got it wrapped like that, and you've got four wheels on the corners. So that works out pretty well. Um, and again, a very little damage. Usually it works out quite well to uh, get them through as a second check bag. Uh, again, this is where I think if you work hard ahead of time, maybe you go out to your airport, if it's kind of a smaller airport, try to connect with the managing agent and just say, hey, you know, in a week we're going to be coming on our trip and we'd like to get this on as a second uh, check bag and, you know, what do you think about that? And most of them are going to, will agree to it. You know, they know that you're going for a benevolent reason. Um, we have a letter from our mission organization that says, please understand that this person is going to do uh, benevolent work and excuse them for whatever. So, <laughs> Again, there's the explanation, uh, so if you want to go step by step. 
crutches and canes, similar. What, what I use is a golf bag. Um, for the first year, I did take about the longer one. The longer adult crutches, even collapse, don't really fit in a golf bag that well. So what I did is I wrapped up about five or six pairs, taped them together, and then I wrapped them in bubble wrap and, put a, again, put a rope through it. So you had a handle and took it right to the gate and checked in, and they had no problems with that. So even though it's well beyond their expectations for the size of their their bag, they, uh, you know, they did allow that to happen. So again, uh, other ways to raise these things we've talked about uh, through church or work emails. You know, you just if you start talking it up, then people start to realize, okay, there's a potential that you, you might need this. You may have to have a place to store a few things. Um, as far as the durable medical goods go, um, usually you can get those from your DME reps, uh, Don Joy or whoever sells stuff to your clinic. Uh, a lot of times um, places have used ones or even new ones that are just out of date. They've replaced them with a different model or something like that. And I've gotten a lot of brand new soft goods, braces, uh, wrist braces, and all kinds of stuff uh, along the way. So that, that, again, that's communication. Let those people know you're considering a trip or you're going on a trip. This is what I'm looking for. Um, and most of those companies, uh, you know, they'll have a closet full of stuff they don't know what to do, just like in their nursing home. They have a closet full of uh, walkers and wheelchairs usually, and they're, they're glad to get rid of them, actually. One thing we've also taken uh, is just some linens. Again, pillowcases we fill with the bubble wrap. So you've got, if you have a table that you're working on, um, then you've got a pillow for them as well, uh, old sheets. Uh, you know, you don't have enough for every patient, obviously, but you try to keep maybe something on the table uh, if you're working on a table that isn't just a plain school table. That's usually what we had early on. We've now actually purchased some massage, fully massage tables that we've left down there. But So my experience has been to go back to the Dominican. Um, uh, my family story is that my daughter eventually went on our trip. She's a teacher, and she married a Dominican, and now they live in Wisconsin. So um, we have family down there now. So that's why I, w I would choose to go back to the same place. Certainly you may choose to go one place and then kind of spread the wealth to another uh, country or another place, just depending upon your experience and your timing. And a lot of times it's the time of the year that works out the best. Or so. So other things that you'd consider taking along would be, uh, you know, your VHI sheets, uh, whatever you have for exercise. Uh, you need to find out ahead of time: can we make copies where we are? Because you can make a ton of copies, and you've got a heavy suitcase if you're going down. So if you've got two or three copies of each sheet that you're going to use, and then you can make copies when you get there, that's really uh, very valuable. Uh, uh, TheraBand and other uh, stuff that you use in the clinic, uh, the braces that we talked about, uh, cam walkers, and just a whole variety of things. You know, you really have no idea what you're going to see. And what I, what we kind of by policy do, we'll take an older suitcase and fill it with all this stuff, and then what we don't use, we just leave there, and the local doctors can use it. We never really bring anything back unless it's a, uh, a bag, uh, like a crutch bag, that we're going to use again. So these are just some of the things. The gate belts, um, you know, Walmart has Samsonite 72-inch gate belts for $4 in their travel section. So it clasps very nicely. It adjusts very well. It, you can use it to hold patients into the wheelchairs or to use gate, leave them at the family's homes, all of that kind of stuff. 
And again, um, duct tape, a small tool kit for your wheelchairs or other things that might need a little help, and then uh, the razor blade knives. Obviously, don't put those in your carry-on. Other personal items that you might take, hand disinfectant is big. Um, some of our clinics have had electricity, and it's kind of nice to just have a little moving air, so a, a extension cord and fan. Crystal light for the water bottles, just to kind of make things hydration type of thing. The frog togs, does anybody know what that is? It's a, it's a uh, kind of a chamois type of material that you put in, in water, and then you can put it around your neck to kind of cool you if you're working in a hot place. They sell them at Walmart. Um, so it's just a big sheet of kind of a chamois material. You rinse it out, and what I do is I go back. Our church supplies cold water for us while we're in the clinic, so I go and just dump that into the cooler where they have the ice water and then just put it around my neck. You'll probably see a picture of that. Um, we work in scrubs. Um, you can work in whatever you feel comfortable with. It's really warm in the Dominican in July. I don't know. We, we go there only because the schools are not in session, so we can set up in an area and use the school in the neighborhood. We do actually, the uh, GHO has three other trips now that um, go, three or four other trips. One goes to the prisons, one goes in over to Haiti from the, from the Dominican Republic, another one is on the North Shore. We, we did a clinic several years ago in Puerto Plata with a sister church from the one that we work with in Santo Domingo. And so now they're sending, we're sending a team just down for the North Shore uh, clinics. And um, so our clinics vary in Santo Domingo. We've been in, you know, I've been in 11 times. Uh, we've been in 11 different areas. Uh, sometimes, one time we went over toward uh, Haiti on about a four-hour bus trip, and we're there all week. The Puerto Plata one was, a, again, a remote clinic away from Santo Domingo. But most of them are in the... Uh, in the suburb areas of Santo Domingo, and the church works ahead of time, prays a lot about where should we have our clinic this year. And uh, so they tend to know that probably by uh, spring, and then we usually go in July. So we know ahead of time uh, what, we're, what we're dealing with there and the location generally. Snacks and energy bars just to keep it going between meals a little bit. Um, when you're on site, there are some responsibilities that a therapist should do other than treating pa patients, in my opinion. Uh, so we assist in the management of how do we handle these, this equipment. So you've got 21 wheelchairs. Who gets those 21 wheelchairs or the crutches or the walkers? Because there's probably more need than you have supplies for. So somebody's got to kind of be in charge of that. Otherwise, you're going to have people coming up to the PT area, OT area, and just grabbing stuff and going with it. So we have we have it pretty strictly controlled. If they need a wheelchair to get somebody in from the gate and through the clinic, um, then we can determine later that they actually have a need to keep that wheelchair or they may just use it and have, they may have one at home but they didn't bring it today. They came in on a motorbike or something with, with a friend or whatever. So uh, the local pastors and doctors, um, are good ones to kind of set up a management for these supplies. So you've got, as opposed to somebody using a wheelchair and then grandma dies and then they sell it on the black market or make money on it, the local pastors can kind of organize that and take the know where those are and then pass it on to the next needy person who might have a need for that. Um, somebody's got to be responsible for prioritizing the use of your equipment and supplies. And that can be a team effort or it could be a one-person, I've got to make this decision to 
use these. Uh, Dr. Stevens just had a great thing on um, on ethics and the decisions they have to make in a mission hospital. And so um, similar, we have some ethical choices that we make, and somebody's got to make a decision on that. And so you consult with the physician that the patient's just seen, or you look at the needs. You kind of look how you're spreading out the supplies and equipment through the week. So you don't give everything away the first day or two. So then on-site also will be... Uh, will be responsible for other therapists or responsible for organizing and leading other therapists in the clinic, and then mentoring students and making sure that their experience is good. We really try to get PT students on our trips with us as much as possible, and most of the time, uh, the 50 trips we have each year to all over the world, if a PT student signs up, we'll almost always have a PT, but once in a while that doesn't happen, so... <coughs> Uh, that's not the best situation. We would really like to have a PT to mentor the student. So you might look ahead of time if you're a student and, and um, you know, make sure there's a PT signed up. Or maybe if you're going on your first trip, you want to sign up on a trip that already has a therapist who's gone before just to kind of make that experience a little better maybe. Um, so we want to sell our, our skills to the clinic people we're working with, and so a meeting ahead of time I think is valuable with the medical director and the other primary care providers. Those will be seeing patients coming through and the nursing staff as well. My wife is an RN, and so she heads up the triage, so she always knows the musculoskeletal patients will go right to PT, but your nursing staff might not know that, and the triage may not understand that. So... Um, there will always be issues in the clinic along the way that you'll need to sort out. And so working as one of the leaders uh, in the clinic with the team leader and the medical director is important. And then um, you may have an opportunity to reach out to area medical providers. A lot of times we'll partner with doctors in the clinic, the Dominican doctors, and I had a chance to go through one of the uh, local hospitals as well. So this is our Porta Plata clinic. That's actually the church, the Oasis Church there. Uh, their sanctuary is the building in the front, and that became the dental area. And then PT was right in the in the area there. That that year we also had 21 wheelchairs and a bunch of crutches and walkers, and you know, they're all given out by the end of the week. Uh, we you know seldomly would we have anything left over basically. This is when our PTA is kind of working. And you'll see her in a, in a minute uh, that she actually was treating outdoors that time because we we're. And here's some of the logistical people taking and setting up some of the extra stuff that we brought along. So we, you know, if if everybody brings something, and you have 50 people on a trip, you can bring a lot of stuff. And so some of those people are carrying dental equipment and supplies, and some people are bringing medicines, and the rest are bringing PT stuff. So. And then whatever's left over, we leave with the local doctors. So here's an example of a very messy clinic. Um, this was also a Porta Plata. So we just have, you know, we have a suitcase or two that has all this stuff in it, and we have it available. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting how you can adapt certain things to make it work for certain patients, or the Lord knows ahead of time and provides just the right brace for just the right patient. 
or whatever. Uh, I can't overemphasize the uh, the wheelchair, the importance of wheelchairs on a trip. And again, it doesn't work for every trip. And our trip, it, our trips, it just happens to work. This is actually in the military last year. So the father or mother was military, and they brought this son in. It's very common for uh, in the clinics just about every year for a patient. For a mother to walk in carrying a CP child who may be, you know, 16 or 17 years old and has never walked, and this mother has been carrying this kid around the whole time, and you you really change their lives completely by giving providing a wheelchair for them. Um, this is an example of a guy who came into the military clinic. He, I don't know how well you can see that, but he's got his left leg in an outrigger type of fixation. He was in a motorbike accident, very, very common in the developing world. They use a lot of motorbikes and they hit a lot of things that don't move. So trees and buses and that kind of thing, or they get hit by things that move. And so he's actually got a prosthesis on his right arm for a below elbow amputation and He's got this outrigger thing, and he had just been back to the doctor, and the doctor said, come back in a month. And I said, well, how long have you had this in? He said, seven months. So he, the medical services there, I don't know if they took an X-ray and didn't see, saw a non-union fracture, and they didn't feel like they could take it off, but can you imagine walking on crutches, non-weight-bearing, pain in your leg the whole time because of these pins sticking out of it, no infection, however, which was awesome, but uh, just the challenges of these people. It's very common for us to find patients or have patients come into the clinic who have had a motorbike accident a year, two, three years ago and had a non-union femur fracture. In the Dominican Republic, you can't have medical services unless you have insurance you can pay for it. So they're injured, but they can't really, they can't get the rod fixation and the surgery that they need because they can't pay up front for it. Um, those are the people who don't have insurance. You know, there's the rich and the and the not so rich, and so the people that have jobs and have good insurance, they can be serviced. But almost always, we've got a, somebody who comes in with a non-union mid-shaft femur fracture that's been there for two or three years, and you know, you don't really have a whole lot to offer them. New set of crutches, which is uh, helpful. Uh, maybe some crutch supplies. Maybe some braces if it's painful, if you can get a, a leg brace around it somehow, but really have to kind of improvise on many patients because you, you obviously can't bring your whole clinic with you. Again, uh, this, this is from this last year. It just shows the... Um, and this, this year we were in a, in a place called La Victoria, which is a suburb of Santo Domingo. Um, the wheelchairs, again, are just... Uh, we've just grown to really... See that as an important part of our ministry. I'm just treating a patient. We did on our uh, massage tables that we take down. So that look, that's pretty typical. Uh, you know, no screens. They don't really have a lot of problems with bugs. Uh, the hot, you know, it's very warm, very humid in our location, and uh, um, we tend to be a stable clinic in the sense that we don't really move. This last two years, we went from the from the military for a couple of days and then into this clinic. Uh, so, but generally, we're in one location. So this is the team that we had up at Porta Plata. So we have we're for, we're fortunate that we had three therapists there and a PT assistant, and then we also had um, a PM and R doctor who did some injections. You're not going to see that in every clinic, obviously. 
This is what you usually see when you drive up in the morning on the bus, and uh, people have been waiting sometimes since 3 in the morning and have walked 5 miles to get to the clinic. And then, so then you ask yourself, what can I possibly give them in 15 or 20 minutes that's worth five miles of walking and being here at three in the morning. And so sometimes you don't have much to give them, and sometimes you do. So, so you know, again, treating within our specialty areas, it's important uh, that we see the musculoskeletal and neurological patients as much as possible. Um, it's important for us to educate the patients and their families regarding their condition and how to take care of it long term. Um, and, and so um, at times, if you don't have a whole line waiting out in the hallway for you uh, to be seen, you have more time, you can spend more time educating. We do take some, uh, um, um, some local trips into the homes. Uh, so we do home visits. We'll take a team of a, a doctor and a nurse and a local pastor and a therapist with some equipment. We'll go visit with some Usually the, our, our trips are family trips, so people, the doctor will bring his wife and some kids along, and so they go out and experience what it's like to actually see patients that are too sick to come into the clinic. So we work with the local pastors to find out who can't come in for, uh, you know, today and, and who can we go see and what, what can we treat. So, again, these are just a variety of the different types of patients you might see. Um, and it's, again, going to be a challenge at times. At other times, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, shoulder pain, neck, back pain, uh, not too complicated uh, if you can show them the right stuff to do. Uh, other people that are much more involved um, being carried into the clinic by family members or whatever it might be. Um, sometimes you don't have a lot to offer them, you know, in one visit. You're seeing them for one visit because we have hundreds of patients waiting. And so you may have 15 or 20 minutes to do something, and in some cases you can change their life by giving them the right thing. And in other patients, you just uh, you don't have a lot to offer, but you counsel them and pray with them and encourage them. Um, so um, Sometimes uh, a, a mother will bring a CP child in, and basically all she wants to hear is that she's doing a good job caring for this child. So you evaluate them, look at their range, look at things they could do, give a few suggestions, and just really encourage the parents, the mother. They may be getting some local therapy at one of the major hospitals, but not very often. And uh, I think sometimes they just want to hear from an American-trained therapist that they're doing the best they can do. So then uh, just as you head back, you'd like to, it's good to get feedback from how things went. You know, did, uh, was this a valuable thing to have a therapist on the trip? And most of, the, most of that you've already heard by about the third day. You know, you're doing a great job and we're just, you know, you have so much to offer these patients and uh, particularly with the providers who are on the trip who have never seen a therapist work before. Um, it's good to get, get re-entry feedback. I think there's some things to do personally as far as understanding, particularly if you've only, this is your first trip, you tend to come back thinking, why doesn't everybody else have the same passion I do about missions? And I had this wonderful experience, and, you know, I get back to my church, and it's kind of a status quo thing, and nobody really seems to care. And, you know, so all of that you have to kind of deal with as you're going through it. Um, 
And then, then you got to start dragging your friends along on the trip. I think that's important. So those people who say, I'd love to go on that trip with you, then you kind of take them up on it and see if, if by the next year they're actually registered to go with you or not. Because a lot of them have great intentions, but when it comes to actually signing up and going and so on, there are barriers. Um, lack of understanding by the team leadership. I think this is where we have to start working early in the trip experience and really talk about um, what do I have to offer. Make sure that your your leader has a good understanding of that and that you're avail- you know that they can really use your skills. You can hear me just talking about don't waste your time and do stuff that's not therapist-orientated if possible. I mean, if God's calling you to something else, that's fine. But if you are there and you're a therapist, you know, there's there's got to be tons of people that you can help. I see the lady in the back with her jacket on. I think we're getting ready for the polar vortex in here. It feels a little chilly. Um, I'm cold, so that's, that's, that's bad. Um <clears throat> So um, working with a local host group, you know, if you don't have that ability to transport equipment once you get on on the ground, then it can be a problem. Or lack of willingness, uh, you know, by – basically it's just educating the people on the team. A lot of them have never been on a team. They're coming with their husband who's a doctor. He's going to be doing his doctor stuff. And some of the the spouses and uh, children, kids actually get – as much uh, enthusiasm about taking these. They really make a family project out of getting a couple of wheelchairs that they can take, and then they can get the story behind who gets those wheelchairs and what can we bring back to the people who donated them as far as uh, a a story. Uh, Location and type of a medical clinic. So if you're you're up in the the, uh, mountains in Nepal, you can't drag 21 wheelchairs with you. It just isn't practical to do that. So... Then you've got your little suitcase bag, your PT supplies, your TheraBand, your exercise sheets, and that's kind of where you're going to be. So, again, there's a significant need for therapists in short-term experiences. Um, we, uh, we know now how to get some of those supplies and make them accessible. Um, there shouldn't be, in my opinion, any t- short-term team that goes without a therapist. I mean, it just we have such, so much to offer, um, and so much of the, what people come in with are back and neck pain in these uh, cultures that are very physical. You know, they, they do a lot of physical labor and activities, and uh, so for us to help them, I think that's awesome. And the earlier you start, the better. I have some stories to share, but I only have 10 minutes left, so I think uh, I'd like to open this up for any questions that you have. Yes? In your experience, could you suggest any continuing education courses that would be helpful? Well, I'm a McKenzie certified therapist, and I don't know of any system that you can use that will treat a patient in 15 minutes and give them what they need to be able to control their pain, understand their pain, and use it. So my high recommendation for particularly PTs would be to get McKenzie certified to the level where you at least take the credentialing exam, which is four courses now, A, B, C, and D. And it also involves extremities. So if you've been to PT school, OT maybe not as much, I don't know, um, and you had that one lecture on McKenzie or that two days of McKenzie or whatever it was, 
you don't know anything about it. It's a, it's a great system. It really is. And I've been credentialed since 99, and that's my starting point in my clinic at home and in my clinic uh, on the field. It's really, um, it's really a great tool and a great thing to understand. So um, highly recommend that as, uh, for long term because you actually can give them an understanding and a program to work on. And a lot of times you can do that in 15 or 20 minutes if that's all you have. Good question. Yes? Okay. Um, my husband's executive director has a lot of experience, and there's actually a hospital there. Um, but my question to them has been, you know, do you have a therapy clinic? And basically what I gleaned from uh, his answer and our field director's answer is it's pretty much massage therapy okay. limited to that. And when I asked about, you know, what about wheelchair assessments, things like that, and they said, well, because... There's just no paved roads. There's, you know, it's so rocky there that people don't use them, even if they have been given them uh, before. Um, so with that, and you know, I'm not a PT at that. I'm a PTA. Mm-hmm. What should I do to spawn more interest and uh, get the ball rolling to um, take it to a level? Well, again, I think therapeutic exercise is important for that and understanding, you know, massage is nice and it feels great, but is it really going to change them functionally? Is there anything that that's going to offer them except for some relaxation? So if they can understand, you know, that you start, you have programs available for treating back and neck pain or for treating whatever's uh, urgent in that area, I think that's, you know, starting programs up. So that would be one thing I would think. As far as the equipment goes, I can understand the wheel difficulties of wheelchairs in areas where you don't really have paved roads. I still think it offers some sort of, you know, mobility for certain patients who can't be mobile at all. And even if they have to drag the chairs through the rough roads and that kind of thing, I still think there's a, at least my feeling would be that there's a value in that. Um, so getting, you know, getting teams to come down and visit, you know, making contacts with friends, therapists that you know, and say, can you bring a couple therapists down? Can you bring some wheelchairs with you? Can we start the process of, of training local people or starting a program where people can understand the value of having a therapist uh, available at least short-term, if not permanently? That's <coughs> so just kind of where I think. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, you know, we just usually have so many patients to see that we haven't had that um, ability or opportunity. Um, the one time that I, well, one time there was unrest in the city, so we couldn't go to the clinic. So we went to a pediatric hospital within walking distance of our hotel, and you know, we visited there. They didn't really have therapy. Another hotel I went, or another hospital I went to to visit was up in Puerto Plata. 
they wanted wheelchairs. Basically, their wheelchairs were all worn out, and so we were trying to work on that. Um, so that's a great idea. Um, one of the ministries of CMDA is um, Medical Education International, where they take trips, and you wouldn't go as a missionary. You'd go as somebody who would train other therapists in that location and work with those therapists and teach them what you know. Um, and so MEI is uh, another branch of CMDA. I'm anxious to get on one of those trips and be able to do that and share my McKenzie stuff because I think that, you know, McKenzie is known. There's probably 28 institutes throughout the world, but in the remote areas, there's not going to be anybody who understands mechanical pain like that. So, uh, yeah, that would be a, a great thing to do. So you wouldn't be actually – you'd be treating patients, but you'd be mentoring local therapists and – so to answer your question, no. We haven't had a chance to do that. Yes? I was just asking Education International. CMDA. If you get down to the CMDA, it uh, looks like a football field. they got the goalposts and everything. There's a section there with MEI. So, Yes? Um, you do have to, I mean, you have to, we have, a tr each therapist has a translator, so we can be pretty efficient. Most of those are high school students that are, have grown up in the, in the bilingual school that my daughter taught at, actually, for three years. So they do a great job, and it is education. It's saying, okay, you know, you can take these pills, and they'll help you until you're done taking the pills, but this exercise is something that you can actually make your body better and get rid of your pain or whatever. Yeah, so it, it is Helping the, the, the Dominicans are pretty good about that. They don't really have any resistance. That's the only culture I've experienced in. So, somebody else over here? Yeah. I was going to comment kind of on the last question about educating people. Um, I've gone on a trip. I've gone to the Dominican several times, and we've gone to several nursing homes. And we've, um, as far as educating other people, we've taken the time to get all the caregivers in the nursing homes and kind of get them together and do like transfer training. Exercise, teaching them just how to get all the major muscle groups and get people moving. So we've, we've had the opportunity to do that, but not necessarily like physical therapists. So I think that's a good opportunity. Yeah, that is great. Yep. Yes? Um, I had a question just um, regarding kind of how you got started, I guess. I know um, you said at the beginning that when you started working with um, GHO that they didn't really have PTs or that focus in there at all, and that's something that we're coming across a lot with the different agencies that PTs either aren't the focus or aren't incorporated at all. So, mm -hmm. I mean, what are your suggestions or your thoughts on how we either break into that or find our place kind of among these? Well, the, the one I had great support with is Ron Brown, who was one of the um, GHO um, staff members who was on our first trip, and he had a, a mechanical neck problem while he was on the trip. Actually, the first person I ever treated on my first trip was a lady from Anchorage who had flown from Anchorage to Santo Domingo in one day, okay? So she bent over to take her shoes off at night, and you can imagine she, you know, developed a pretty significant back pain, and so we work, I worked with her most of the week. That was my first patient before I even got to the clinic, so. But Ron had a neck problem, and then he started to see what we could do, and I was by myself the first time, and I said I'd never do that again. So I always recruit another PT to go with me because you can really, really work hard, and if you don't tolerate heat well, 
it can kind of be a physical drag. And so I didn't start till I was 50, too. So all you young people got all this energy, you know, start young. That's what I said at the end, start young, because you just have a lot to offer. But I think if you can get one of the staff members understanding and seeing it, so you have them kind of watch you if you're on a trip type of thing, you know, just go on a trip even though they don't advertise it and say, here's what I can do, and work with the medical people, and they'll come back and talk about you, and they'll say, you know, we should have somebody like that on every trip, basically, is what we're looking for. So, yes? We had an opportunity this last year in Belize that really just sort of stumbled into uh, a group of exercise science students that I had who were wanting to become physical therapists here in a few years. We're visiting a hospital, and they, of course, they had no idea what exercise science meant. And so we, they were sort of saying, well, we want to be physiotherapists, and they said, ah, well, let's ask people here at our hospital, our employees, who needs to maybe learn something. And all of a sudden, the room was just full of nurses and hospital attendants who had back pain or tightness or leg pain or neck pain or whatever. And so my undergrad students were showing, showing them basic stretching, flexibility kinds of things, very non-invasive, non-technical, it doesn't really be licensed kind of stuff. But all of a sudden, they're now sort of thinking about wanting to be physical therapists One of our long-term goals is to get a uh, American-trained therapist who's a clinical instructor trained in a remote location running a clinic with other therapists probably locally that you could do an internship in, an eight-week rotation. I think that there would be a lot of schools that would really jump on that. You could probably fill that schedule up pretty fast, I would think. So just to have that, that experience in another culture but still have the education, the supervision, the mentoring that you need as a student. So. Yes, Patsy. I think it's so great to get therapists together. And in the past, they've had something on Friday, like later today at the four to five time during the specialty. Nothing is scheduled today for PT. Hmm. Is there a way that we could, you know, with all these blanks and the education, we can we just speak up to the leadership and get together so we have more sharing time? Uh, we probably could do that. Um, I have another workshop this afternoon, and we could talk that up a little bit if we wanted to. Is this room busy next uh, at 4 o'clock? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, let's see. <coughs> no, it's only this. Yeah, there's only about five, four or five being used then. This room is not busy. So if you want to do some therapist networking, let's meet back here at 4 o'clock, and we can just talk about our experiences and... Hopefully we won't get kicked out. <laughs> Thanks for your attention. I appreciate it. Thank you.